the harshest of operating conditions. Large-scale investment, planning, and commitment places the offshore sector in a league all on its own, where the stories of people aren't found anywhere else. From safety to operations to new technology, we look to break down this often mystified industry and shed light into the unknown. You're listening to the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast with your host, Andy Lash. Oh, everybody, thank you. Welcome to the show. This is scheduled to be episode one for the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast. We are here today with Adam Lee from All Stop Survival and Safety Training, the best little survival and safety training provider in Texas. We are going to talk about safety training for the oil and gas sector and many offshore sectors, the different types of training. We're going to learn about Adam himself. We'll also learn about what you need to know as you get into the offshore sector, what kind of training you may need, what are the pitfalls that you might see getting into that kind of training. And, you know, hopefully this will be educational, entertaining. Adam, thank you for coming. Thank you for your time and welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. I'm honored to be part of the your first podcast. This show is brought to you and sponsored by Tidewater Marine. If you like the show, the best way to support us is to take a few minutes and leave a review or a, and a comment on iTunes. That is absolutely the best way to reach out. Let us reach more of an audience. And by chance, we might read your comment on the, a future episode. So Adam, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure, absolutely. I am one of the owners of All Stop Survival and Safety Training. Background that's relevant to, to the journey that, I, that has brought me here. I'd say from a little bit of a starting out on a safety and training side of things, I was Special Forces a long time ago and did a few other things there after getting out in 97 from a second range battalion. But then directly, I was a firefighter in Lafayette, Louisiana back, oh, I think I started. I was only I was there for about four or five years, about 2005. And then as many, many other firefighters all will know, you have to have several jobs and I ended up getting interested in, um, I was doing some contractual work on the side for some contractors and things like this. But a buddy of mine was working at a, a safety training place south of Lafayette in Maurice, Louisiana. And they thought I'd make a good instructor and asked me if I'd be interested in it. And I was, and I did. And then as life happens and so forth. I ended up going from part-time instructor to uh, my fiance at the time, got a big promotion that took us from Louisiana to Houston. And then I started full-time with them because I was too old to continue my firefighting career in the city of Houston and became full-time and kind of moved up really quickly. It kind of came naturally to me, did a lot of good things and had a great four or five years there until the uh, everything started tanking a little bit and Ended up then making a move, and I went over to McDermott International as their QHSES training manager for AEA, America, Europe, and Africa. And was only there for about a year when I had decided to go ahead and, and take the jump and to start pursuing Allstop. And so that was what led me on this path here. So you've had lots of training yourself, it sounds very, like. Very much so. I, I wouldn't be here today, and, and really my passion comes from, and that's why I bring up the military training. I mean, that, that was 93 to 97. It has nothing really directly to do with this. Um, I wasn't in the Navy or Air Force where I went through Hewitt training, but it was, uh, I would not have been here today. I would not be here today if it wasn't for some outstanding training I had from my military and, and from my firefighting career of men and women who cared about what was doing, was passionate about it, and uh, stubborn enough to make certain that we actually paid attention and learned. So, no, I'm very passionate about training, and that was where I think kind of the foundation of all this really came from. How long has All Stop been open, and how long have you been in business here? We've been fully operational. You know, obviously, there's it's kind of a, a little bit different than some other businesses. 
to get the approvals that we need to be in business, specifically with the Opedo training, you have to have everything in place. You have to have the staff, the quality management system, the resources, the building, the simulators, the davits, the lifeboats, the swimming pools, everything has to be in place. And then they come out and they they audit you to see that you can do what you're going to do. And then you're allowed to do it. You know, so there was a period of time and then Hurricane Harvey delayed everything by about six months, which was quite a intense time. <laughs> but after all that was said and done, I don't even remember the exact time of from when we got in the building and all this stuff going on. We were, heck, we the first three or four of us was working out of my house for almost a year, just getting things set up. But about February 1st of 2017 was our first, we, we've been fully operational since then. So less than 20, this coming February, February 1st of next year will be our 24 month anniversary of being fully operational. Oh, fantastic. Congratulations. Thank, there. You. Thank you. Harvey certainly put a damper on the, the whole city for sure. I, I live down in League City and we took some water in our house down there just, oh, just a little bit. Sorry to hear that. It's just, it affected this city, but I also saw a lot of people come together and, and work to it. And it sounds like your team did the same with you, which is awesome. You no, know, absolutely. I mean, I was really proud of several of our instructors at, at that point, you know, again, we weren't even open for business. We were still getting set up and doing all the things we had to do. I think we were about a five or six person team at that point. And three or four of, of our staff was volunteer firefighters. Some of them still are, but they were, they participated in a lot of the helping, the assistance that was going on, some evacuations. Yeah, they were busy. The they were, they absolutely. Were so we were, they kind of got a break for about two weeks <laughs> at that time just to kind of take care of their own selves and some of their communities. So I was really proud of them. Well, thank you for you and your, your whole team and have a great appreciation for firefighters around the world. So thank you for that. Absolutely. So you you put all this in, you 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 won't build this beautiful facility, you get all this stuff ready. How was that inspection? How did that feel when you were down to the that last final step? It was great. You know, unfortunately, this whole journey and my partner and I, Graham, who's not here at the moment, we talk about this all the time. It's a shame. There, there's this whole journey to to kind of get something like this going. There are so many milestones, but as soon as you accomplish one, no matter how great it might seem when when you first set the bar to reach that, once you get to it, there's immediately dozens of other things you need to do. And it's like, you don't really have time to stop and smell the roses. So for a long time, we never ever stopped to smell the roses. We've recently here, kind of this year, we're, we're trying to slow down at times. And when certain milestones are passed, we're trying to stop and enjoy it a little bit, even if only briefly. But really, there, there is just so many things that had to be accomplished, so many things that had to be done, so many time crunches and all these things. So it was it just really kind of was just a daily thing, you know, let's get up, do this. Okay, great. That's accomplished. Keep moving, keep moving. And and so didn't really enjoy it too much at the time. I don't even know if it was really noticed, you know, it was just, okay, great. Let's keep going. So just keep on moving, yeah, right? I had no other choice. Yeah. So you, you got this facility set up, you got the approvals and you, did you start with the full list of training programs that you have today? Yes. You know, and I, I don't want to waste too much time during the podcast. There could be a lot about that, but at the end of the day, what our core business is, is certainly the water-based training, the, the, the Hewitt series of courses that are offered through OPEDO, through the OPEDO approval. So we also do about a dozen other types of courses, which is a little bit different than just about any other OPEDO approved training provider, definitely in the United States, if not throughout the world. Most of them, if you would go in and just check any of these, that they're doing 
50 to hundreds of different types of courses. We're taking a slightly different approach. We really want to get a reputation at being the very best at what we do. And someone had taught me a long time ago a, a saying I've always liked, you know, if you if you chase too many rabbits, you don't get any of them. They all get away. So <laughs> yeah. the courses outside of the water-based training that we offer are things that are typically the most needed and somewhat complementary to kind of the business model of All Stop, which we're, we're really big on practical types of training. And so with that being said, so yeah, we, we were, once we had the Opedo approval in place, we, we had our other courses in place before we had our Opedo approvals, but our niche business is, is, is certainly the Opedo courses and that's what brings people in and people weren't really aware of us. So there was a period of about six months before that February 1st, 2017 date when we had our full Opedo approval and was open for full business. I think we maybe had... 15 to 20 customers in the six months leading up to that. So it, it was kind of like you build it and they will come. Once we got known for being an Opedo approved training provider, we now get a lot of people in these other courses. But prior to that, it was might as well not even have offered them until we had the Opedo approval. So, so I'm coming into this. I, this is an adventure for me learning about the offshore sector. What does Opedo stand for? I knew you or, ask me that. <laughs> I was going for my phone to go as, as I've been doing this for well, ten years. So, I can never remember this. Well, and and we offshore petroleum industry. I'm, I'll look it up for it in a second and give it. And yeah. it's, I'm embarrassed. I don't know this. There's a few acronyms that we use all the there's, time. We were joking beforehand. Forget. Yeah, there's a ton of acronyms. We we were joking before we started. How about the the primary one? The one that I went searching for that kind of got me. To find all stop, which would be Hewitt. That's the most common acronym. I think it gets thrown around all the time. Yes, and there's a lot of confusion around it. So Hewitt is, um, first off, it's, so as so many things, it's everything is kind of one hand, this answer, one hand, that answer, depending on the context. But <laughs> Hewitt stands for Helicopter Underwater Egress Training. I'm Googling Opito. Yeah. I'm embarrassed. I can't remember that off the top of my head. But it's kind of like how people ask for a Kleenex when they mean a tissue. So that's a brand name. Hewitt is, is it's it's a very generic term. When we're just talking about the series of Opedo courses, there is, if you really want to break it down, I mean, a half a dozen to a dozen water-based emergency survival types of courses through Opedo. They all have a Hewitt component. And at the end of the day, Hewitt is just one component of all these courses. And then there's other things outside of Opedo. For the, the marine side of, of the industry, you know, there's SDCW courses and there's there's courses along those lines as well that also potentially you add on a Hewitt to them and things along those lines. Um, yeah, so Hewitt is a very generic term. That being said, there is an Opedo course that is specifically Opedo Hewitt as well, which almost no one, at least here in the United States, actually needs. So it's we, we get people all the time that will call up or then they'll be like, hey, I need a Bozit, which Bozit is one of the main courses of which one, Hewitt is one of the modules. And they're like, you know, I need a Bozit and a Hewitt. It's like, well, that, that, Hewitt's part of that. Or, you know, right. I just need a Hewitt course. And it's like, well, then which one do you need? Okay. And so the people that would be looking for, like you said, Hewitt, helicopter, underwater, egress training, Correct. right? So that is going to be, for the most part, somebody that is going to have to take a helicopter ride from land out to something, a drilling rig, a ship, somewhere they're going to take a helicopter over water. Is that, that that's the most basic? Correct. And and it's not only, and then there, sometimes we'll have people who take the training and it's kind of funny because their companies will send them for the training and then they'll get here and they'll complain about taking the training and they're like, you know, we don't even use helicopter, we use boat. But you also, so it's a little bit further, although that is the primary correct answer. 
That being said, but even if if you do use a vessel, you know, a boat to get back and forth, well, what happens? You know, what would you do if something happened to that boat and you were then in a sea survival situation? There's a really high chance that the United States Coast Guard with a helicopter would come to rescue you. And even whether you're in a rescue phase or not, all these things still apply because things can happen to anybody at any time, you know, in the helicopter. Just because they're the good guys coming to save you doesn't mean that they could not have a problem and then that you could still end up ditching or so forth. Yeah, very good point. I, I didn't really think about that aspect of it. But yeah, the, the Coast Guard is, is likely going to put you in a helicopter one way or the other. That's right. So when you get this training, again, I'm learning just like everybody else. You get a card, you get some kind of credential that you carry on on your person to get out there. How does that work? Yeah, so you know, it's kind of interesting that there's a, so it, for one, it kind of it's a little bit different from region to region throughout the world. I have found, but for the most part, without trying to get too detailed, yeah, it's essentially you're going to for one, you need your certification. So everyone gets sort of cert- certificates when they pass a training course. And if it's an OPEDO course, because again, an answer when we're talking about OPEDO does not necessarily always apply to other types of training courses that are not OPEDO. But with OPEDO, it is a requirement for that cert to go to the individual taking the course. Some other organizations or situations, it might be that the individual taking the training doesn't directly see that cert. It goes to the company mm-hmm. who's paying for it. Okay? Gotcha. So with OPEDO, it's a requirement. We, we are required to give it to the people coming here. And I think that's a really nice advantage for the people that are taking OPEDO courses. But you would get your cert, and then, yes, it is, it's become, I think since at least the 80s, maybe even longer, it's kind of become a custom where people that will get a wallet card that will typically, whatever training provider you went to, whatever training courses you've taken, they'll give you some type of a wallet card. And what's kind of happened is really at the end of the day, that card is not a certificate, but it has taken the place that a lot of times people will use that as they're, you know, they'll, they'll be at their heliports and they'll, they'll just pull out their card and show that, hey, I have a card here that's laminated or hard plastic and just printed on. And yeah. it's kind of funny at how accepted that is as if it's like a legal document or a bona fide certificate when, you know, in probably most cases, it probably shouldn't be viewed that way. Now, in other places, which I don't have firsthand experience, but from what I've been told for many years, places like the UK and so forth, they kind of have cards that all their training is is digitally embedded in right. where they can swipe it and whatever requirements they need to have, you know, they swipe it and get a green light or something along those lines to verify they have valid training that they need to be allowed to, to board and to go. So we're not quite there in the United States such as, well, along those lines yet. So if, if you come to All Stop, along with your cert, you would get a card and we it's a little laminate card that we make for you and give to you because it's because people want it. Yeah. <laughs> no, why. and... You know, I, I see that kind of broad, broad scale, verifiable document. I see that for, I see that entering a lot of the U.S. more and more. I know, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but things like ISNet and, and all these different service providers that are kind of stepping into that realm where they're trying to commingle all these different documents and, and give you that trusted proof. So, and you said it you have this card, you have this certificate that gets checked at a heliport or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Typically speaking, there'll be some basic requirements that they need just to be able to board the aircraft and to fly okay. in the United States. So you had kind of mentioned this earlier about as far as like what was needed and so forth, mm-hmm. pretty much the, no matter what you're doing, if you're going offshore in the United States, Gulf of Mexico waters, you generally need bare minimum two things. You will need in the United States, you're going to need some type of a water survival course. 
and which doesn't necessarily mean opedo. There are there are non-opedo water survival courses, which depending on the operator that you're working for, or so forth, might be acceptable. Yeah. So you know you got regional checks and then company checks, right? And then along with that, though, if you're going out to the United States, Gulf of Mexico, you will also need generally your your safe Gulf marine trash and debris Sims two and and a HSC type of course. We offer the IDC rig pass, which is an all in one encompassing, and along with safe land for that matter, but the other components mentioned, you you would need that to go. If you're going offshore for 20 minutes and you'll step foot on on a rig and, and do something for 20 minutes and then get on a helicopter and fly back, and that would be the only time in your life you would need those two types of training. Everybody has that in common, regardless of what they're doing. Okay. Well, I'm hoping through this adventure I can get out there at some point. So I'm going to have to check a few boxes and go through some training is what it sounds like to me. Absolutely. And we will be more than glad to take care of you on that. <laughs> you, I guarantee you at some point you'll definitely need to go out there and, and something will happen. And when you need that training, come and see us. We'll take care of you. That sounds great. So you've built this facility. You, you've gone, got your certifications and started this training. I think we've touched on it, but how are there any other things we haven't discussed on maybe how this training fits into the oil and gas sector and, and some of the customers that you see day to day? I mean, at the end of the day, it's so, you know, when we talk about oil and gas. I mean, that's a big thing, right? <laughs> For us, not by choice, just kind of out of logistics of how it works. You know, we primarily our, our primary customer base is definitely the offshore industry, because for one, of course, if you don't work offshore, Within oil and gas, you certainly don't need any type of Hewitt training. Sure. And then the other issue is that a lot of the land-based training companies, they're so spread out. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. When you have people going offshore, basically Texas, you know, southern, southeastern Texas, and primarily Louisiana, they're your egress points, you know, people coming in and out. It's all kind of flowing through the same general area. So that's why I think it's a little bit over 200 OPEDO approved training centers around the world, of which I think approximately... 50, 55% of them offer some type of Hewitt type of course. I believe there is 11 OPEDO training centers currently based off OPEDO's website of training providers. Out of that 11, I believe there is five of us that are commercial. There's some that are OPEDO approved, but they don't do Hewitt. Or I know I'm aware of at least one of them that does do Hewitt, but they do it actually in-house. They don't, they don't do it for a commercial venture, so to speak. So... Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's kind of the thing. We have everyone here for oil and gas, you know, offshore side. And if it's land-based, you know, whether if you're in Pennsylvania or North Dakota or Midlands, just you're so spread out, you're not going to send all those people in to a place like, you know, Louisiana or Texas to get your training and send them back out there. So it just kind of naturally, we do have definitely some, some land-based customers, you know, that are, but they're, they're located here in the Houston area. And so they use us out for convenience that way. Yeah. You do some, some other stuff training courses as well, right? Like I think rigging and lifting yeah, and yeah. and some of those Yeah, courses. we do a variety of the rig. We actually are, are partnered up with NSO. We're signed off to do their courses for the day one and the, and the day two. Anything more advanced than that, actually NSO's instructors themselves comes, comes out and delivers that. They set up a whole rigging frame in our in our training theater there. That's that's we're very proud of. And then outside of that, I mean, and, and certainly oil and gas, and particularly the offshore industry is, is our bread and butter. But really, it's kind of a shame. It's it's always hard to kind of break through into other areas. But, you know, we, we do first aid training as an example. We, we teach yeah. people how to use fire extinguishers, for example. I mean, tell me anyone in life what business where it's not a good idea for someone to know how to, to stop 
you know, an incipient stage fire and to safely and correctly use a fire extinguisher to, to stop that from growing or to be able to help out your fellow man, you know, whether you're a stay at home mom or dad or you're a lawyer or a school teacher or what banker or whatever you may do or work at a gas station, right? To help out somebody if they hurt themselves or would have a heart attack to, to do administer CPRs or, you know, any basic life support types of, of things. So several of our courses could easily translate to other areas, but Unless they're forced to do it, they just generally people don't do it. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. I understand that. It's the same with many things in the industry, wearing PPE and and following through with the training and, and using proper procedures. And yeah, for some reason, people just don't want to do it. They just have pushback most of the time, unfortunately. We've touched on a lot of acronyms. I think some of them we've covered. I think there's some that we haven't. You know, we touched on Hewitt. And then I think you mentioned Boziet as part of that. Right. So when you look at the courses, so kind of for easy understanding, because people that do what I do would get technical on me and correct me, but just without trying to get too technical. And I don't think we need, maybe I'm phrasing it wrong with actually breaking down the acronyms. I guess maybe the, even just the training that kind of falls into those, those separate groups. Sure. And how they come together. Well, so the Boziet is your three-day course it's the generally speaking it is the the highest the highest okay. of, out of the courses from op that you can take okay. and that stands for your basic offshore survival induction emergency training b-o-s-i-e-t inside of that bose because they'll all be different links and then they'll have the different modules that makes it up okay and god you're gonna put me on the spot remembering all the modules for some of the other classes but for your bose you're gonna have so anytime you ever do anything you have to have the theory before you actually would do something, right? A practical that you put hands on. But you're going to get instruction on first aid, not to the point of getting, not like taking a medic first aid course where you get a, a card and you're certified for right. two years. But right. it's kind of, everything is from an emergency situation standpoint. So like imagine having to do CPR in a life raft or in a, in a lifeboat or a Tempsey where you're crammed in there. So, you know, so it's, it's looking at things from that perspective. But so you'd have that first aid and you're going to have some incipient fire training, familiarization with fire extinguishers and classifications, along with self-rescue. That if you were in a bad situation, smoke filled area and you got your escape kit, a smoke hood, how you would quickly and safely get out when you can't see in a, in a, a scary situation and trying to move to a point uh, where you could evacuate to get to a lifeboat. And you also one of the modules is your lifeboat. And then what else, my friend? Then, of course, Hewitt, Sea Survival, and what I, I don't know, Fire, Self-Rescue. I think that was it. Medic First Aid, Lifeboat, Hewitt, and Sea Survival. And the limited research that I could do and, and kind of check and starting to get a base of knowledge for this discussion, there's a big difference between cold water, warm water, right? Is there like a, a T. Hewitt and then... Correct. And so out of the, the, the main series of courses is so, so you have your Bose, it is your big one, right? Your grand, granddaddy one. And that basically will give anyone who takes that course, it's kind of the international course. And that's one of the great things about OP and oh, why it's okay. caught on because so many other types of training certificates, if you took rigging here in the United States and then your company sent you to Mexico or Brazil, let alone Australia or the UK or something like that, you will most likely have to redo that training, confined space, fall series of courses, all this type of stuff. They don't, the standards don't adapt to your right. new region. So the Opito, that's one of the big benefits of this, that with Boziet, it does. And for the most part, that is your ticket to go into any region, any body of water within the oil and gas world, with very few exceptions. And then to refresh that, and all these are, are valid for four years. 
and then you would um, you would not let it expire. You would take the it's known as a refresher, although not everyone likes to refer to it as a refresher, but then you would take Foet. You would never take Boziet again as long as you don't let it expire. And then, so you'd go from a three-day course to a one-day course, which is your Foet, your F-O-E-T, Further Offshore Emergency Training, which then would refresh that Boziet as long as you complete your Foet before the Boziet would expire. So basically every four years. And then from that point on, all you'd ever take is Foet if you're on an international you know, I guess, game plan of being sent all over the place and needing that certification. Then, and both of these at this moment, I'm talking about cold water. Anything without a T, like a T Bosey at T Foet would be cold water. And then there's also the basic Opedo Hewitt. And then even on some of these, there's different other versions like digital and so forth. But then, so for all those three courses, your Bosey and then what you would use to refresh it, Foet, and then the Hewitt, then you generally have more or less counterparts, your T Bosey, your T Foet, and T. Hewitt. Now, Hewitt and T. Hewitt are kind of a different, they are not the same course as far as like one just being cold water and one being hot water. T. Hewitt pretty much only exists in the United States for the most part. That was a collaboration back in the day, a couple of years back, actually with Shell, who used to have their own Shell standard in the United States, and with Opedo, when Shell kind of wanted to quit from what I understand, policing and watching their own standard, they wanted something else so that they thought was good, you know, to to satisfy that until where there's more access to people to be able to take this training. So they worked with Opedo and then came along the tropical Hewitt. So that's why the name was kind of taken from Hewitt. But okay. at the end of the day, there's different components. It's when you look at Boziet or T Boziet or Foet or T Foet, they are the exact same course, except for the absolute only difference is in the the non-T version, you're wearing the cold water transit suit, which insulates you. You actually get the issue that when you fly, because if something would happen, you're going to be ditching in some freezing cold water, most likely. And so you have to have this insulated suit on to help protect you from cold shock and hypothermia and all these other things. And you're going to have some type of a breathing device should you become submerged and then have to egress out of that helicopter. It's so cold, you can't hold your breath. You're going to have this that cold shock reflex. It's a, just a, a nervous reflex that is going to happen to where you would gasp and suck in water. So they issue you this piece of equipment to use. And it's been around for aviation things, you know, military and other applications for quite a while before it was kind of adopted by the oil and gas industry. And it came to the UK, I want to say, easily a decade, if not longer, before it came to the United States basically around 2010 or so is kind of the beginning of when Opedo started to gain some popularity here. And unfortunately, it was after the Deepwater Horizon situation that it really kind of got embraced. But anyway, so did not get too far off the track. You got the Boziet and then uh, T-Boziet. So same training. Everything is 100% the same. Now, this is a, a, a good thing for everyone to understand is typically speaking, there's to my knowledge, without unless there's some rare specific situation, but generally speaking, there's very little need. And there has been times, so I'm, I'm always trying to be very careful, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? No, you can insult someone's <laughs> company's policy or how they're viewing it. But that being said, what I'm getting at is if you take a T-Bosia, there are far fewer places in the world that would accept a T-Bosia compared to a Bosia. But since the training is the same, plus you get a little bit additional training, and the only additional training you get is you're introduced and you wear the insulated transit suit and the emergency breathing system or compressed nowadays by the new standard, compressed air CABS breathing system is kind of generically how it's known. 
you're still doing everything else the same, but you just get some additional training. So any place that requires a T-Bosiate, there is typically, without some reason to, you know, logical reason to, to say otherwise, no reason, and everyone would accept, if you have a Bosiate, they'll accept your T-Bosiate training. However, far, far greater places, because most of the regions around the world are cold water, sure. where oil and gas is, your Bosiate, same, same time, generally the same cost, it's more widely accepted. And any place that wants a T-Bosiate, there is generally no good reason why they would not accept. And by the OPEDO standard, if something requires T-Bosiate, if you have a Bosiate, then it's, you have that standard. Okay, great. I have seen situations once in a while, and generally it's through a, a, a lack of understanding or confusion, right. where someone's like, well, no, we need a T-Bosiate. And someone has a Bosiate, and they would not listen to Opedo. <laughs> they want you to have an Opedo course, but they don't look at their own, the write-up on that, so to speak. And it's kind of weird. And then the, then the exact same thing with forward and T-forward, because I know I'm dragging this on too long. No, but yeah. forward and T-forward, same thing. Only difference is when you do the Hewitt practical, the clothes you wear and that you actually use the, the cold water breathing apparatus known as CABS today here in the United States, finally adopted it this year, it was EBS for the last 10 years here in the United States. What was it? C-A? It, so now it's C-A-B-S. It, it actually, technically, I think it stands for a Category A emergency breathing system, but it's a little compressed air bottle. Okay. And so everyone calls it compressed air EBS. It used to just be EBS, an emergency breathing system, where you recycled your own breath in this kind of plastic vinyl type of bag, and you only had 30 to 60 seconds, depending on, you know, your state, either your training, your condition, you know, if you were injured, your panic level. Panic, yeah. That's right. And it was... A much more vulnerable system, a lot of dead space. You know, it's it's plastic and vinyl. It could be ripped easy. You got to do all these things. There's more steps to it. Now, granted, it was way better than holding your breath. You know, it was a fantastic piece of kit when it came to that. I believe it was sometime last year the UK adopted it. And then we were about a year or so behind. I believe it was March of this year the United States has adopted it. So any cold water training we do, it's not a choice, EBS or CBS. It's CABS. And now you have this hard little, like a mini SCBA or a mini dive tank. Sure. And it goes, now it gives you, again, everyone's a little different. It could, depending on how well you're trained and so forth, you might be able to get from two and a half, three minutes to up to five minutes of air. Of, and you're not recycling your air with CO2 discharge, which is why you're limited to only 30 to 60 seconds on the, the older system. This is, you actually, ex, uh, through the, the valve system, you actually get rid of that, expel that CO2, and you, every breath you take is grade D breathable air. So really good system, aluminum bottles, very durable, no almost no dead space in the system at all, which dead space, if you just think about like a, a large, like imagine a gallon-sized bag on your chest that you would fill up with your air to breathe. Well, if you got a hole in it, that's all dead space that water could get in, which is now in your system and basically renders it unusable. Sure. Whereas in this kit with a CABS bottle and the hose line of a mouthpiece, there's just a little bit of dead space, like literally less than a mouthful of water. And should it fail to where water got into there, it's a pressurized system, the water would come into your mouth and you would just use your, oh, I'm forgetting the right term, but, but you would just pass it through. You would just basically just breathe out forcefully and clear your regulator and you'd be fine. So that's, that's a big deal. I mean, that's a that's a game changer. So that's great. No, this is really good information. I, I mean, I'm learning a lot. So maybe just to recap real quick with all the acronyms. Okay. So most people know the acronym Hewitt. That is the kind of a lower level basic training. It, it, if you're being so, there's two ways to look at it. it again, it's a generic term 
for water survival courses. And it's a portion of the but overall But it is training. also a course. And, and it, it, so it's also in a course that is Opedo Hewitt. And then it is a, but the Hewitt module, which is in every one of these courses we're talking about, even the Opedo Hewitt course, it is then a module of training with other modules. And maybe for when we're looking just real broad spectrum and we're looking all training facilities, you could go somewhere and just get a Hewitt just by itself. You may not want to, but you could. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Okay, so yeah. so that's like Including one portion. Here. Yeah. Yeah. And then what might be more productive, cost-effective, beneficial long-term would be to something like the Boziet that covers. Well, it all comes down to where you're going. It all okay. comes down to where you're going. So there, there's always two checks on everything. So first off, you have regional laws or rules mm-hmm. or regulations. So, for example, if you're going to the U.K., it's no one's choice. You're going to take a Bozit with CABS. That that is the minimum standard for people working offshore when it comes to the, the water survival right. slash shoe with training. Again, the in the United States, you know, there it, it is, and I probably won't use the right terminology. And in, in, in this industry, the right terminology becomes so important. So in the UK, it is, I will, you know, it is mandated by their laws and regulations and people in the white wigs. Over here, for example, we're more industry driven at this point. We don't, there is no, we do have, you know, as of Sims, we do have something that says that companies that employ these men and women to work in these inherently dangerous situations are required to train them adequately, but it doesn't necessarily say what is adequate. It's really industry. Suggestion. Yeah, that's right. So in the the United States, Gulf of Mexico, it becomes a little bit more of a headache because I mean, gosh, I mean, from my standpoint, I I wish for everyone's standpoint, it was just one clear cut. Hey, if you're working here, you're going offshore here. This is what you take. And that's it. End of confusion. Yeah. But so, for example, if everything I explain, there's always situations where it could be differently. But so if you were, let's just say, an operator working here in the United States, Gulf of Mexico, and that was primarily where your operations were nowhere else, then Opedo probably doesn't mean anything to you. And you would then, and there are water survival, one day water survival Hewitt courses. I mean, they've been here since the 1980s. That then is most likely their minimum requirements. Okay. Then for international, I'll say operators, you know, that, that have operations outside of just the Gulf of Mexico, it's usually in their best interest. So they will typically have T. Hewitt which is a one-day course, not all that different from the non-Opedo course, okay? But there's some extra things in there like lifeboat training and so forth that you generally would not get otherwise. But it's a one-day course. And again, it's going to have sea survival. It's going to have your Hewitt, your, your runs and all that stuff. And now in the United States, that will actually, so that's kind of a new change within the last several months. Even though it's not a cold water course, they would not be issued the transit suit, but they would get training on the CABS unit. That's a that's a very new thing. We've seen more changes in the United States in the last 12 months, 12 to 18 months, than since I've been aware of since 2009 or 10. And all really good changes. But then beyond that, so T. Hewitt and then a lot of other operators, again, this year, they've really made a big move. Some of these larger international operators that just, you know, they're going to be paying for someone to go and take this training and they don't want to have to keep redoing it, you know, whenever they move someone, it may help them be more mobile. Right. We are seeing a larger push than I've ever seen before of then people requiring now as their company's minimum standard, nothing, you know, the United States regulations, nothing says that they have to do it at this high of a level are now requiring as the minimum standard that their people are taking Boziets. 
So again, you know, in the United States, it really comes down to you have to have a water survival course with a Hewitt. That's the regulation, but depending on who you're working for will dictate which type of the course that you need. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think that was kind of where I was, I was, I was trying to make sure I was clear on that. So everything has time and money to, to get it done, right? The Bozy, it's three days instead of one day. Of course, there's more of an upfront cost to get through that training, but you can use that far more places, far more companies, far more outfits. Absolutely. Long-term. If, if you're an international company and there's yeah. even a chance that over the next four years, that person could be moving to other areas, it makes a lot of sense. Just get it done. And there are, and I wouldn't be doing, I wouldn't be representing the industry well if I didn't mention though, when you're talking about something like Boziet, so your standard is three days, but Opito has released there about a year and a half ago. We now, there's a digital Boziet version to where the class, typically it's three days for 16 people. So with the digital Boziet, the practical portion has to be capped at no more than eight people. So they're really big on how many people and the time standards and things, and rightfully so. But the digital could now be done at home in your underwear, have after dinner at night, you know, but you, it's about eight hours now. You can't cheat it because that would be your eight hours of theory, more or less, if you came to a training center. So it's still, and you can't advance it. You have to really dedicate, you know, that you're going to take eight hours. And But whether you do it over a month or what have you. Yeah. And then you would just show up at your training center of choice to take the practicals, which now can be delivered in one day. So they could cut down the three days. That's one way to cut down the three days to one day of actual time, you know, flight, hotel, one day, go in, do your practical training, get your cert, and then go out and do what you got to do. And then, and then it's three days if you have over eight people in the practicals. Okay. So if, if places such as, you know, we, there's times like we have eight, less than eight people in our classes, which we offer four to five classes a week. So we often do. We very, very often, as an example, our, even our in-house training without digital, we're able to do it in two days because we would have no more than eight people in those practicals. So they'll come in one day, do theory, second day, do the practical. And the practicals. So you've got this facility. We're, we're in uh, one of the offices training classrooms on right now, but outside you've got a huge pool and yeah, two pools. Uh, looks like a fuselage or it looks <laughs> like a boat on a crane and, and chains. And it's very interesting to look at if, you know, and if you don't know what it is, if you haven't seen some of the videos of, of that training. So, so that would be the, the practical portion of the training, right? Yes, sir. That's our training theater out there. So yeah, so there's different parts of the bay out there. There's kind of five areas to our bay, that main area that you've seen. We have a, so one side's the rig and frame. So let's just say that's quadrant A. So that's not used at all for the, the Opedo training. Sure. At least for the for the Hewitt Sea Survival type of training courses. And then there is quadrant B across from that where we have our practical unit trailer set up out there. We use that for a few other things. But for the Opedo one, that's where we actually have our dark room. We have like a little maze room. It's all blacked out. We have a smoke machine. And that's to help train them under the scenario of you know, what would you do if you, you know, alarm goes off, middle of the night, you're in your accommodations, you grab your escape kit, it's smoky, alarm's blaring, you're disorientated, it's, you know, it's scary, something's going on, and you need to abandon ship, you know, and you need to find your way to safety, but you can't see the hand in front of your face. So that does it in, that gives you training in that for an individual from, I believe the, the correct terminology is from partially obscured to fully obscured. And then it will move on. So that's two different exercises under those two conditions. And then you do it as a group with multiple people all staying together, which, which is 
surprisingly quite challenging. I mean, well, I'm I mean, sure communication and, and just everybody moving together. I mean, a simple thing like checking a door that could be your pathway or your exit to safety, but you don't know that in the proper ways that you would check that and the possible dangers if that's if there's you know a fire, fire condition yeah. behind there and so forth becomes really complicated. So that's it. Any, anyone who's a firefighter who ever done search and rescue type of applications, this is not as advanced as that, but they, they would certainly understand the dangers and the importance of that type of training. And then beyond that, when you kind of get to quadrant C and D of the, of the training theater, the first one would be the dedicated Hewitt pool, where that is. So that's where all the dunks are. You know? <laughs> yeah. And so whenever you talk about a helicopter going down, you know, having an unscheduled landing on water, it's referred to as a ditch. So it crashes on land. So there is actually a training for an emergency landing or crash that's controlled. And then we get into our ditches and there's different of training and there's ditches are broken up into controlled, uh, semi-controlled and uncontrolled, basically from a, as you can imagine, from the best case scenario under those conditions to the worst case. And then the different things that you would do. And depending on the course, they all generally were going to have about five to eight different types of runs, including dry evacuation, you know, on land, an unscheduled emergency landing on land. And then even you'll have it to where you land on the surface of the water and you'd get out into a life raft and all that good stuff. Then to the point of where you're taken on water and it's sinking with, you know, upright. And then eventually you you evolve into the cap sizes. And then with your windows or doors in and your windows and doors out, it's a different series of progression. Using the equipment, sometimes not using the equipment, holding your breath, not holding your breath, depending on which course and which run you're doing. So that's what that pool is all about. And then in our sea survival pool, we actually have, we, I don't, I'm not aware, I'm not saying we're the only one, but I'm not aware of any other OPEDO approved training provider in the United States having an indoor lifeboat and davit system. So that's something we're very proud of. We're very soon to say that all of our training is under roof. Um, I'll, I can expand on that in a second. We'll be able to say that in about 30 more days. <laughs> but we have our lifeboat and davit system indoors at the end of our sea survival pool. And that's a fully functional davit system to where people would, you know, engage in those exercises with a lifeboat. Then we have our sea survival pool to where, again, you know, all these things, based on your emergency situations, you kind of have three scenarios. You're, you're either you're ditching in a helicopter or you're on a boat or a rig or a platform and you would have to get off of it. And if you get off of it, you're going to be getting off of it either into a lifeboat, preferably, if you can't use a helicopter or something else. If you don't have that at your disposal for whatever reason, then you would want to have a marine life raft, which we'd want to deploy, you know, an inflatable one and, and then jump in the water and get into it. Or if there's another, sometimes you have systems where you can get into it without getting to the water, which is fantastic, especially in a cold water environment. But then your last resort and your least desirable is if you have no other option and it's kind of that, you know, life or death situation, you, you, you step off, you jump off, and we train them on how to properly do that. And at the end of the day, once you're in the water, whatever happened that resulted in you not being in one of these safer environments, as such as a lifeboat or a life raft, if you're in the water, you know, there's still a lot of things you can do to improve your situation. And we, a lot of the, the sea survival training is all about that, you know, education about hypothermia and signaling. And maybe the single most important thing for any survival situation you can imagine is, you know, a good positive mental attitude and focusing on the things at your disposal, however slight they might be to control them and take full advantage of that situation until you get rescued. And that's one of the wonderful things about the oil and gas industry. I mean, 
God forbid anyone's ever in one of these situations, but if you're working in the oil and gas industry and something happens, people know about it. You have rescue coming. You yeah. know, uh, we're, we're not talking about Gilligan Island here type <laughs> of scenario, you know. So that's a good thing, you know, um, and you got plenty of resources at your disposal. You're going to you're forced to take training whether you want to or not. So you're going to have some type of awareness of this and what to do. And hopefully you'll have a lot of other people. Well, I say hopefully, obviously I would better not have a lot of people in that situation, but most likely you will not be alone in this situation and you'll, you can build off each other's confidence and knowledge and, and stay focused and do what you got to do until you get rescued. With all this, I mean, you're putting them through a lot, right? You've listed all kinds of training, which is, is awesome. Does everybody pass? No, no, not at all. As a matter of fact, we had someone today that didn't pass. They'll be coming back soon. And hopefully they will. Tip, typically though, so this is, this is one of the great things about this type of training. And again, it kind of, it goes back and forth and back and forth, right? But at the yeah. end of the day, you know, this is not Harvard, right? And the training is, I would say to most people, you know, with my background from firefighting and training as a professional firefighter, and let alone in special forces and some of the things I was trained to do, I personally don't feel that this training is overly difficult. Now, some people, they have told us it's one of the most difficult things they've ever done in their life, and they're really, really proud of, of, of accomplishing it, which is fantastic. So we're all a little different, right, when it comes to that. But what I'm trying to say is that at the end of the day, it is fairly simple, and that's really powerful, and it's really dangerous at the same time. You know, and that's a great thing. If, if your life's on the line, if, if something actually happens to you, I mean, get out of the classroom for a second. Get out of your, you're, you're out of the classroom, you're out of this controlled environment where you're going through this scenario, and you're trying to imagine you're in the situation, and, and hopefully you're taking it serious, and hopefully you're getting the most out of this training that you can, but if you're actually in that situation, it's fantastic that the things that can give you such a greater chance of survival are simple and fairly easy. You just got to, you know, just kind of like tie your shoes. You just got to be taught how to do it and then practice it and, and, and get, get a chance to, to experience it. They're not difficult things to do. And that's really good. You don't want to be a science project if your life is on the line, right? But the bad thing about it is that sometimes the information that's being put out there, it, you know, it is viewed as being very simplistic and so people don't really appreciate the importance. I mean, there is nothing on any of the slides, and I'll say this for any tra OPEDO-approved train provider, or at least on any of the OPEDO of courses, I definitely will say this for all stop. There is nothing, there is no wasted sentence or bullet point on a PowerPoint or, or anything that comes out of an instructor's mouth. Every step, everything that's there, if you really want to geek out on it and start to really, you know, focus in and talk about why that's there and, you know, why is this so important that we're going to have you, you know, you fly across the world to come here and take this training. You're sitting here. Why is this on the screen and why are we saying it to you? There is a reason for everything there. And they're all important reasons. And it, sometimes it, it really disheartens me because, you know, a lot of times people are taking training when they're, when they're off work and they don't, let's just say, always come with, you know, highly motivated to come and do this training. And it's yeah. really a shame because I don't know anything else. Most, your standard person who works offshore, man or woman, whatever position they're doing, I don't know if there's anything else they do, you know, whatever their normal job is, every time they're going out there to do that job. I mean, you get to the heliport, you get the heliport briefing. Every time you fly out and back, you get to an installation, you go through a multi-hour, typically installation briefing covering all these different things. And then whatever your job is, you're going to go through your toolbox talks and your JSAs and bloody D, bloody doll every single time. But you're going to come here and take, you know, let's even look at the, the most expanded one that we talked about, a Bozeit, for three days. And that's six or seven modules 
all crammed into those three days in, where you're sitting with a bunch of strangers. And let's just be honest, you know, you, you start off in kind of an unfamiliar situation. None right. of us are at our, our best, right? It compared if you're in a very comfortable setting, it always takes time to warm up and people are shy to ask questions or they've done it before. I mean, there's so many things that goes into this that, that gets in the way of people getting the most out of the training, you know, for whatever that might be. And then most of this, if not all of it, is almost not even talked about, let alone doing it for the next four years. And you have that, and let's just say you're talking about the, just the Hewitt, not even the fire, not the self-rescue, not, not the sea survival, not the first aid, you know, not the, not the proper way to step off or how to, the lifeboat situation, none of that stuff. If you're just looking at the Hewitt, out of that three days, you know, you're going to spend about an hour and a half, two hours classroom, and then about an hour and a half, two hours, you know, doing that practical trait, which you're sharing with, you know, depending on the class size, up to potentially 15 other people. So even out of that four-hour total time on that one subject, you're, you know, the two-hour practical, you're getting maybe a quarter of that time. And that's what you have to get by that life-threatening situation for the next four years. And, and everybody you know, wants to think that it's not going to happen to them. Oh, this this will never happen. You know, they just kind of check the box. And it get, probably won't. But it will happen to somebody. It, it, yeah. it always has. And, you know, and unfortunately, until proven otherwise, you know, there's always a chance it still will. So... If you're doing it, I mean, you're not paying for it. The company pays for it. I just, you know, it's a shame when, you know, and it's expensive, you know, and, and, and it's hard for companies. I mean, they do a fantastic job, the oil and gas industry, the, the amount of money they spend on the training and so forth. I mean, it's, it's it should be applauded. There's very, very few other industries that go anywhere near the effort and the expense and the time in training that workforce. But when we're specifically looking at some of these situations, it's just, you know, I, I don't feel like the time and the training overall is adequate if someone ended up in that situation. That's all. So, but yeah, not. I, I think I probably got a little bit off the subject there and ran a little bit. This is all good. I, I'm fine. I mean, I'm learning a lot. I'm interested. I, I think it's it's really good. You know, I, I'm not directly getting into the offshore sector right now. I'm I'm doing this podcast, talking to a lot of people in the, in the industry today. But I'm sure a lot of the audience might be headed into the industry. They might be going into a job off, you know, offshore and on a rig, on on a ship, you know, somewhere. This training is great. What are maybe some of the myths or misconceptions that that you've had to deal with over time for people entering that that field? As far as myths, not a whole lot, other than. Although it does is although it is typically a well-paying industry, you're not gonna not everyone's making quarter million dollars a year. <laughs> Very few people are, in fact. But I would say that so one of the myths, and, and I don't know if I can answer about the industry. I don't know if I'm qualified to talk about the industry. More for training, the yeah. Path right. You got to go eventually go through us to go offshore. Absolutely. So first off, for everyone who cannot swim, you do not have to swim okay. in any of these courses. <laughs> That's good. Okay. Anytime you're in the water, you are wearing a life jacket. Or you're, if some way, whether it's an aviation style to where, long story short, you don't have to swim. I'll just leave it at that. So a lot of people are really worried. Now, I always find it slightly ironic that you would choose a career path to go work offshore and you haven't taken the time to learn how to swim. But that being said, there's a lot of people where that's the situation and who am I to judge. But yeah, that's a very common thing that people think to take these water survival courses or Hewitt courses that they have to swim, so they don't. So that's probably the biggest myth. Then other than that, it's not it's more misconceptions. And we kind of covered it. The Hewitt thing, I mean, we, we literally, on a daily basis, we get a half a dozen calls of, of Hewitt, you know, like, hey, I need Hewitt training. 
which this will kind of, we talked about this before it started and I'll, I'll kind of cover this a little bit. It leads into the other thing, but just people not knowing really what they need and just calling it Hewitt. And man, that, I mean, for us, that's like, okay, well, which one? And then, you know, kind of explaining all these things. And then that kind of leads into the other thing that we get a lot. It's not really a myth or a misconception, but it's a little, I mean, it's kind of crazy because people need orpedo training. They, they want it, you know? So it's like you, you want something, but you just, it's just like you're told you have to have it. So you're like, okay, that's why I want it. But they don't know anything about it so often. And we all the time, we, you know, and, and I know this is a, in, you know, it's something that happens to any pedo train provider, but you'll get a phone call or an email where they're just like, hey, I need my, my company or someone, or I need this training. What do I need? Tell me what I need. You know, and I, and I always equate it to, it's, it's such a tough spot it puts us in because we can never tell you what you need. And, and anyone who knows what they're doing, they will not tell you what you need because unfortunately there's, there's a whole liability issue. What if I misunderstand your situation and right. I tell you the wrong training course, you know, and then your company flies you halfway around the world or something, or, you know, you get to the L port and all of a sudden, you know, you're denied. Well, you know, Adam Lee at all stop in Houston said that I needed this. And you're going to be knocking on my door, you know, hollering at me. So we can't do that. And we get it all the time. People ask us, what do we, what do, what do I need? So what, what we'll do is we'll advise you, you know, if you tell us where you're going. And the thing is, we, we, I mean, I'd bet you money that almost every time I answer that question, I know exactly what you need, but we'll never phrase it that way. <laughs> yeah. you know? Hey, based on the last 300 people that we saw that came to us to go to that region, this is what they took. But at the end of the day, the ultimate responsibility, it has, it's always on you or your company. You have to you know, check, check with whoever's it. If you're the training management team for a company and, you know, you're, you're getting people trained up to go out there on some new project or something, you know, you, you check with the operator or whatever, whoever awarded you all the bid, you know, you need to find out what it is that the requirements were for training and and get it in black and white so you know exactly what you need. It's it's, it's kind of funny. It's almost, I always, it's, it's like, I explain it as if you go to, to the grocery store because I want to go buy dinner tonight. And then I walk in the grocery store and I go to the the cash out clerk. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to buy dinner tonight. Tell me what I need. <laughs> what ingredients do I need? It's like, yeah. Hey, you know, so what are you cooking? That's right. So we get that a lot where people just, they just, I mean, and we will get people, I, I bet you out of every 10 people we get one to two of them every time they'll, they don't even know why they're here. <laughs> they, they were just told to come here. I mean, they, they don't know what training they have to take, what's expired, what's not. They'll just show up. Hey, you know what? Hey, good morning. How you doing? Welcome to All Stop. But, you know, what's your name? Yeah, my name's, you know, John Smith. Okay, well, great. What are you here for today, John? I don't know. <laughs> All right, well, let's look into your record and see who ordered the training, what you need, you know? So they're just, they just go with the flow. You know, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> I I can I can see that very clear. I'm, I'm not surprised by that one bit, knowing things, but hopefully that gets better. Awesome discussion. Lots of different points. A lot of information. You certainly know the topic, you know, and uh, so I fooled you. <laughs> it's a beautiful facility. One thing I didn't talk to you about beforehand, but I did a little research. I was digging through. What do you guys do with the students from A&M? Oh, so we just we just did it for our second year. Yeah. And, and basically what we do is it's for the students that are in the engineering division that will be going into oil and gas. Right. right? And again, you put me on the spot. Speaking of all the, the abbreviations and acronyms, I'm trying to remember the exact branch of this. But anyway, but it's that's what they do. With, you know, they're going out there to, to pursue careers as engineers in the oil and gas industry offshore. So what we've done for the last two years is we've given away free training. We've done this. Now, Opito has supported us, and they had waived the certification fees, which are typically $25 to $30 per person. 
The first year we did it, we ran through, I believe, it was up to 32. I think maybe we had a few people not show up, but we basically did about 30 students. And that kind of coincided with our grand opening. We actually had that on our website. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, it was neat. Kind of had the, the ribbon cutting ceremony and everything, big picture with them. But we did that. And that's great. And, and just to kind of, you know, at T. Hewitt, again, as we mentioned, was typically the minimum industry standard, especially at that time. Even since then, it's now more widely, or there's more companies, operators that are requiring Boziates. So this last time we did it, we actually gave away 16 Boziates. You know, and, and that's fantastic. Just as a comparison, I mean, our, our price is already probably the definitely the best in Texas. Is arguably some of the best pricing in the United States. But you know, T. Hewitt's a three hundred twenty-five dollar course. Uh, Bosey, it's a thousand dollar course, nine ninety. So just to kind of you know put a little value onto what was doing with them. But it's it's just you know the industry is is still in distress. We haven't talked about that in this whole conversation. Obviously, the big thing about training in the oil and gas industry is the last five, six years that the industry has kind of gone through or three, four years, whatever it's been. And uh, four years now, right? Basically, 2015, it kind of hit the U.S. about middle 2014, I think, for the rest of the world. But yeah, it, it was just trying to, you know, to, to help out with, you know, people going out and trying to pursue a career. And and that's one of the things I'm really proud if, if I can kind of talk about these things a little bit and, and change the subject just a little bit, but on the same vein, for being a brand new company, you know, here in, in, in Texas, here in Houston, one of the things we're really trying to do is is just trying to be a part of things and and kind of help out a little bit and and we right at the get go my partner Graham who's our our, our CCO and, and our big business development guru you know we we are working with a half a dozen different staffing companies that that help that specialize in offshore staffing and so whenever they're hiring people for projects and so forth that they'll, you know, we take care of the training for them. But one of the things that we do, I mean, I can't tell you now, if, if you do this and by all means, I, I encourage anyone to do this and I'll pass you off to Graham, but he's the one that actually has the connections and can do it. But, you know, I'm really proud that we will, what people will, will send us your resume, you know, and, and, and granted, I mean, you, you know, you, you generally, you have a better chance of getting employed if you have some experience, but you have a lot of people for the last four or five years that had to get out of the industry or they maybe shifted to the land side of things and now that things are, are, although still distressed, but but in a recovery mode, they're trying to come back. And so we have helped dozens of people get employed by, I mean, and Graham used to be a professor. He has a, a master's in psychology. He's helped people out with their resumes and kind of cleaned it up and, and you know, when, when requested. But at the end of the day, we work with these staffing companies and we will, certain ones kind of specialize in certain types of employment and and we'll help out and, and make connections for you. And, and we've we've helped literally dozens in less than two years, dozens of people get employed, you know, by some of the connections that Allstop has of just kind of taking care of people. And, and at the end of the day, that's really what, without sounding all horribly cliche, but it's but you shouldn't be in this business if you don't care about people and don't feel like you're trying to make a difference. You know, if you do your job right, you know, you don't get some huge pat on the back about some story about how you know, someone went out there, something blew up and and I, the training flashed back to me that I took at All Stop, and it helped me survive this. Well, hopefully, this training—if you had any part of that, you know, of whatever experience could have happened because of having proper training—hopefully, what could have happened was diverted, and we just don't even know it. You just went about your day and went back home, and it was just a boring another day at work, and nothing exciting happened. But you got to care about people, and you got to deal. You got to care about your customer. You got to take care of them. You have to understand the different. You know whether you're upstream, downstream, midstream. If if you're a CEO of, of some multi-billion-dollar company, or if you're 
employee number three of a four employee company, whatever it might be, where, where we treat everyone the same. We treat everyone as fairly as we can. And we pride ourselves in, I think so far in less than, you know, but our first two years here almost to being fully operational, I think there's been one request we had to turn down just because we just simply couldn't do it. We'll, we'll even send you to a competition. If you need something we don't do, we've worked with a lot of people. Matter of fact, Graham right now, this past week and a half, we know we were doing Heck, someone needed like 40 Boziets, which for oh, wow. us would be amazing, but but they needed it elsewhere and they were coming to us for advice on where else to go. And Graham, you know, is very international and, and has a lot of connections. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time helping people get 40 to 50 of their employees trained up in, you know, another training center or somewhere else in the world, you know, making the connections, introduced them and, and helping even giving advice on visas and things along those lines. So not that we're the visa people, but I'm just saying, but, yeah. we, but we really do try to help. And, and we're, it's more than just coming in and, and, and running you through your training course. You know, we, and another thing I'm, I would like to talk about kind of covered it when we hit on the retention thing about the short period of time that really, when you break it down, that people are taking on this training. When we first opened up, we really pushed this a lot on our website. And to my great disappointment, nobody to this date has ever taken us up on it. But so, so maybe it's a horrible thing to offer. I don't know. But I just like to let anyone who would maybe be listening to this know, you know, one of the things we, we really do care about the training. And, and I cannot stress enough how important to me the retention of training is. So one of the things we offer, if you take an all-stop course, and this is really it's geared toward the water survival emergency training courses, but honestly, any course doesn't matter. If you take it here with us at all-stop, if somewhere along the way before it expires, if you forget some of that training, often there's a scenario where maybe someone's taken the training because in the next couple of months, they're about to have to go offshore for the first time as an example. And then, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe that gets pushed back. They take the training, but then maybe it's like a year later before they actually have to go. Yeah. And they're nervous. They'll call us up and, you know, and, and just ask a question or something. We actually offer, if you want to, you know, we're not going to charge you anything. You, you know, you still felt the little medical self-declaration. You got to be in good shape and everything, good health. You can't be hurt. But we will, you know, if you schedule it a little bit in advance, we will fit you in as long as we have availability. We'll put you in and reserve that seat for you at our own expense to allow you to come in and refresh that training. It will not renew your certificate. Your company's not paying for it. You have to do it on your own time, you know, which is probably why people will come back and do it. But it's really a shame to me because there was a lot of people who are really concerned about remembering everything and practicing it. And they talk about it while they're here. They're, they're oh, I'm gonna, I would love to come back and do this. I've never seen anyone do it. But it's something we offer if you're in a situation where you've taken the training with us. And, you know, again, a period of time has gone by and you're, you're worried that you don't remember something or you just want to practice it again. Call us up. Let us know. You know, we'll tell you what our schedule is. Let us know when it works for you. We will give because we are mandated. To, you know, we can only have so many people in the seats. So we, we have to reserve that seat for you. And as long as you show up, not a problem. If you don't show up on us and you just kind of hurt us and it, it might be difficult to do. But we, you know, we, we, we want to do what we can to kind of make a difference and work with people. The, the training is important. It should be taken seriously. People should value it and, and be respectful that they work in an industry that provides this training for them. You know, and I'd love them to take advantage of, of that offer. It's part of the all stop advantage that we talk about. Oh, that's great. I, I think, you know, I, I do some safety training for the kind of the, the work that I do every day. And one thing I've always looked at is how do you know if the safety training was actually taken to heart? Right. And it's kind of what you're saying. If you, you know, how do you know if somebody's actually taking it to heart? And I've always looked at, 
do they do it when they are not forced to do it? So kind of like what you just said, do they take the time, come back, revisit it when they're not mandated to come here? Kind of like PPE training, you know, personal protective equipment. If you go through a big training course about wearing your safety glasses for flying objects, and then you go mow your lawn and you're edging with the weed whacker and you're not wearing safety glasses, obviously you probably don't care too much it's about your safety training, you know? So great point, great offer by Allstop. I think uh, hopefully you see more people take advantage I of that. Love it. That'd be really cool. This has been an awesome discussion. I, I've learned a lot. I think it's been a, a really entertaining and, and interesting to hear. Any any other things that we haven't touched on? I don't know if I answered fully your in, in typical fashion. I started answering and probably went off on. Oh, that's fine. Asked it about people not graduating or passing. Yeah. So just a, the quick answer on that is yes, it does happen. It's not very rare because again, it's, it's not if you're willing to, and, and if you're willing to put forth the effort. You know, so if you fail a test, we're going to retest you on a different version and so forth multiple times. Well, you almost have to basically say, hey, I'm done. Yeah, check out. Yeah. That's right. Or, or it's just that it's just taking such a great long period of time that, that maybe for that day it's done, but then come back the next day. So typically, though, like on an Opedo series of courses, if you fail or the technical term is that you are deemed not competent yet, right? Not, not yet competent yeah. in a particular learning outcome, then you have, I believe it is 60 days. To come back and retake that, just what you were not competent in. Okay. You don't have to redo the whole course. You just take the component that you need to take. And if you do that and pass it and become competent in that particular task, then within 60 days, then there you go. You're good to go and, and not a problem. And, you know, and, and I, don't, I don't have generally the the people that I've seen that have, have not passed a course, it's almost always that they're uncomfortable with something. And they knew that coming in. And, and you can almost predicted the beginning. I mean, just a very common example is someone will come in, they'll right away start talking to everybody and saying that they're uncomfortable with it, saying that they're nervous about it, saying they've had a bad experience in the past. I mean, yeah. the whole time they're here, that's like all they're focused on. And, and we actually take stress training and stuff. I mean, as part of the training that, that a professional survival and safety instructor at Allstop has to take of stress management for all types of things and situations, whether you're like in a practical training in the pool or even just, you know, in the hallway, right? It, things could happen at, at any time. And so we recognize that and we really try to kind of diffuse it and work with them and reassure people. And the biggest thing is, you know, that's maybe a great thing for people to know. You know, if you do have some type of anxiety about taking a course like this, the best advice is simply stop as much as you can. And I know it's easy to say if you're, if you're not worried about that, you know, if you're not having that issue, but listen as much as you can and, and focus all your energy onto the training. Because at the end of the day, generally speaking, unless you really have a severe anxiety, typically if you're nervous about something, it's a lack of knowledge about it. And so, you know, you're there to, to, to gain knowledge on it. And you have people who care about you. I mean, I, there's no place on earth that, that wants you as a customer to come in and then be injured or have a bad experience there. We're all there. Everyone is lifeguards. You know, my old butt's a lifeguard. I became a lifeguard for the first time a couple of years ago, or a year and a half ago. I was so proud. We're all dive trained. Everyone here is first aid trained. Some people with a lot of experience in these things and so forth. We stress management trained, all these special training courses we've had to go through to do what we do. You know, 10 years ago, when I first got in this industry, you could literally be like 17-year-old out of high school and you're hired up and, and a day later you're, you're teaching these courses to people, you know, it's not like that anymore. 
at all. I mean, there's a lot of requirements. Our whole process and our whole training development of our staff is an audible requirement for any of our customer customer base nowadays. For when they're being audited, they have to do the due diligence that they're choosing a good training company with good qualified people to deliver this. And we have to prove it. We have to be certified, nationally recognized assessors. I mean, there's a lot that goes into the profession of, of what we do. So these people care about you. And if you if you focus on them and listen to your instructions, you'll get right on through it. But again, if, if, if someone fails, they're welcome to come back. We work with them. And it just, it usually happens to where someone's just really so uncomfortable with something. They, most of the people who have quit a course, they probably didn't even put their, it's always about the water. I mean, no one's ever quit it because they had to sit in the classroom or because they had to go and, and put out a fire yeah. with a fire. They see that big fuselage out there and the chains and, and they get suited up, they get suited up and, and they don't even put their foot in the water half the time. But the, the, the gentleman that, that quit today, that's, he, he didn't even get in the water. He was, he was struggling with a rotary seatbelt. And it's just, you just, just so nervous and, on it and you turn either direction. There is no wrong. As long as you turn it, there's no wrong way to do it, you know, and, and that, that was, I've never seen that one before. In over 10 years, I've never mm. seen our guys spend over an hour. And, and I'm not making fun of the gentleman. No. I mean, everyone eats their own, right? Everyone has something that could be a, a dilemma for them. But usually, if, I mean, if you see something like that, like an issue over, I mean, it, they are designed to use in emergency life-threatening situations and total darkness. And then, you know, you're, you're, you maybe you've been injured and you're disorientated. I don't know if there's an easier seatbelt that can still accomplish without accidental releases, right? Than a rotary style seatbelt. And over an hour, four different individuals worked with them. Wow. And that you, not always, but honestly, that usually something like that is almost like an excuse or either an excuse or something that they're focused on to yeah. be an issue. So nervous. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. So, and so we do our best to talk to them and we see that and, you know, Hey, walk around, just take your mind off of it. Hey, watch some other people. We'll try different tactics, but, but it does happen, but it's few and far in between. That's great. Adam. Is that for a 20 minute answer to a second question? (laughs) That's great. No, I'm, I'm all for it. Adam, thank you. All stop survival and safety training. Certainly you guys have your stuff together. You've got the great facility, great courses. Sounds like some great people on the team. Thank you for your time. Thank you for, for, letting us come out. To everybody listening, thank you. We're going to have announcements here and we'll catch you on the next one. Stay safe, everybody. Hey guys, we have a couple of OGGN events on deck for the next month. OGGN's next Houston happy hour will be on October 29th at the Cannon for four to six. As always, a portion of the proceeds will go toward Redeem Ministries to fight human sex trafficking. At this happy hour, we'll be discussing the process of taking a startup from simply an idea to obtaining the first purchase orders. The panel discussion will include Saudi Aramco Ventures, Shell Ventures, NOV, SCF Ventures, Eternal Energy, and Well Diver. Our next Denver Happy Hour will be on November 6th. Come join us for food, drinks, and a live podcast that we will announce at a later date. A portion of this event's proceeds will go to local charities Safe House Denver and Oil Field Helping Hands. Okay, now to the events on deck. The Tamora Leste Oil and Gas Summit 2019 will be on October 3rd through 4th in Dilly, Tamora Leste. The SMRP third quarter West Houston chapter meeting is on October 3rd at 11.30 in Houston. This event will cover the topic, are your PMs preventing or causing failures? IPAA and TIPRO are hosting their Leaders in Industry Luncheon on October 9th. 
in Houston. On October 14th, the Canon will be having a disruptive energy workshop. The API Golf Tournament will be held on October 14th, 2019 at Kingwood Country Club. And as of right now, there are some spots still open, so be sure to check their website and register your team. The 2019 Operations and Process Technology Summit will be on October 14th through 16th in San Antonio. The summit will cover maximizing your molecular advantage, practical solutions for today, forethought for tomorrow. On October 24th, OGGN's very own Mark LaCour will be speaking at Tech to Market in Shreveport, Louisiana. The Balkans Petroleum Conference will be held on October 24th through 25th in Budva, Montenegro. The summit is the official event for the Balkans oil and gas industries. Lastly, the George H. Bush Conference this year will be on October 28th through 29th in Houston. Honoring President George H.W. Bush, the Bush-China Conference brings together Americans and Chinese to discuss critical bilateral, regional, and global issues and to generate innovative recommendations for advancing the relationship. Tune in next week for another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasoffshore.com.